0: Well, good morning. It is my privilege to bring God's Word to you this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Josh, and I am the pastor for children and youth here. And I get to, uh, to bring God's Word to you from John chapter 4. So if you would, open up your Bibles to John 4, verses 43 through 54. And if you'd like to use the Pew Bible, we're going to be on page 889. So in the Pew Bible, that'll be page 889. And as you're opening your Bibles there, uh, I just want to catch you up. If maybe you haven't been here the last two times I preached, I'm going through the seven signs in John. And this is the third one that we get to. And I really like it that John is very, very clear at the end of this gospel account He tells us exactly why he records these seven signs. He says it's so that you and I might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so with that in mind, let's go now to our Heavenly Father. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we can gather together and consider what you have to say to us through it. Would you give us ears to hear your truth? Give us hearts that gladly receive and hearts that want to obey. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, I don't know if you've seen in the news recently that uh, Kanye West, if you know him, He's been in the news recently for, uh, well, if you don't know him, let me catch you up very, very quickly. Uh, this may be hitting a very specific generation. But he is, is known, he's a, a rapper, hip-hop artist, and recently he has made a profession of faith. He's claimed to come to Christ. And I don't know if, he, if it's genuine or not, but long before he's made this profession of Christ, he has a song that was released in 2005. And it's called Gold Digger. And I was requested by my kids to ask Pastor Stephen to join me, and I rap it, and he beatbox for us. But uh, I thought, well, I don't want to be tempted by the lure of getting signed by a record label. So I'm going to tamp it down just a little bit today for you. So I'm just going to read you not all of the lyrics. Trust me, you don't want to hear all of the lyrics, but just a few of them, okay? So remember, the, the title is Gold Digger. she take my money when I'm in need. Yeah, she's a trifling friend indeed. Oh, she's a gold digger way over town that digs on me. Cutie the bomb met her at a beauty salon with a baby Louis Vuitton under her underarm. Yeah, she's a gold digger. I think we can... We can hear what's going on in these lyrics, right? This lady who's looking to use a man to get something from him. Perhaps we've seen this in our life with others or we've heard of it happening where maybe even kids want to go to to one kid's house because they've got the really cool toy that they want to play with. Or maybe the boss being skeptical of making friends with other employees at work because they think, well, maybe they want to use me to get a promotion when it's up. But imagine if you and I could do anything, that we could perform any miracle or have access to anything that we ever wanted. I think you and I would probably be skeptical of others wanting to be our friends as well. We might be wondering, do they they want to be my friend just because they want to use me? Or do they really want to be my friend because they like me? They, They like me for who I am. But the difference here is that Jesus, who does have all things at his access, who can do anything, he knows the heart of man. He can see and know why people come to him and seek him. So, with that in mind, let's look at God's word, beginning in verse 43. After the two days, he, that is Jesus, departed for Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. That was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So verse 54, right? It tells us that this is the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Judea to Galilee. But just a few minutes ago, I told you this is the third sign. So if you remember, all the way back to chapter 2, Jesus comes to Galilee, he turns water into wine at this wedding feast, and then he goes back to Jerusalem. Right? So this water to wine is the first sign, and then we see he goes to Jerusalem and cleanses the temple in, at the second, part, uh, second half of John chapter 2. And John also tells us there that that too is a sign. So I think why John tells us in verse 54, he says this is the second sign that Jesus does after he comes from Judea back to Galilee. So the third sign total, the second one that he's doing in Galilee. And so after two days, at the very beginning of John uh, chapter 4, we see Jesus must go through Samaria as he makes his way back to Galilee, which we were reading from. And we see that these Samaritans, these half-breeds, they actually warmly welcomed Jesus. They adored him because of the word he spoke to them. And they even believed that he was the Savior of the world. So as Jesus makes his way back to this hometown of Galilee, you would think of all people, his hometown people would receive him with love, with rejoicing, with adoration. And in fact, it tells us in verse 45, right, they welcomed him. But we see this difficulty between verse 44 and verse 45, right? Jesus, or John gives us this note, that says, For Jesus, in verse 44, Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. There seems to be this tension, right? A, a prophet has no honor in his hometown, but then yet, the very beginning of verse 45, they welcomed Jesus. So what's going on? Well, I think the rest of 45 helps us out, right? It says, they welcomed him having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. So we can presume that these people in Galilee had been in Jerusalem at the Passover, perhaps even seen Jesus, what we see recorded in the end of John, John 2. They see him performing signs and wonders in Jerusalem, and he's coming to where they are in Galilee now. And they, they want him, they welcome him. But I think perhaps they welcome him more because they see him like a genie who might be working wonders and healing people instead of seeing him as the Savior offering salvation, offering life to all who would believe in him. And John even drives that point home even further in verse 46. If you look along, look in verse 46 there, it says, And he came to Galilee, right, where he had made water wine. So John is even even driving this point home, right? These people, they're welcoming Jesus because of these wonders, because of these signs that he is doing. And apparently the word is spreading enough to where people even in Capernaum could hear, just like this official that we see in verse 47, hears that Jesus, this wonder-working, miracle-working man, is coming to Galilee. So this word spreads, and and we can even imagine being in this official's shoes, right? Your son, who is sick to the point of death, and he's rich, having most likely all the, the, the medical things available to rich people, doctors and things like that, and yet they can't heal him. This rich man has nothing he can do for his son. So perhaps feeling hopeless because of his circumstances. I think probably still filled with a great love with his, for his son. He travels this 15 mile journey from Capernaum down to Cana. And you can even hear in his voice, perhaps pleading with Jesus Please come to my home. Heal my son. He's about to die. And look at how Jesus responds to him. Look at verse 48. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Not the response I might be expecting from Jesus. It comes across as kind of harsh and cold, in fact, right? But his point is, your faith must be in the right thing. Jesus is demanding genuine faith from this royal official. Right, it's, It almost seems like Jesus is, in fact, trying to turn this man away, saying, you're not coming to me for the right reasons, just please go. If, if you don't want to follow me and seek me because of who I am, then, then just, it, it, maybe you can just go home, and you see this Father's heart, perhaps even like the heart of these Jews where they see Jesus more as this magician at a carnival where he does a little magic trick, right? And they cheer and clap and get loud for him because they want to see more. They want more people healed, brought back to life. So it just leaves me with this, with this question. What do, what do we do with these signs, these miracles, these wonders Jesus is performing, do we just dismiss them? Do we reject them? I think if we did that, that's totally the opposite of what John's trying to do here, right? He tells us the whole reason I'm including these in my gospel is so that you might know something, that these signs that Jesus performs like a road sign would point you to something. That is, that Jesus is is the Christ that these signs and miracles he's performing are meant to lead you to faith in Jesus. Something very very interesting I think here in verse 48, right? Unless you and maybe you you have an ESV translation, there's a little footnote. In mine there's a little 1 right after the first you. So if you look down, it tells you in the footnote there that this you is actually plural. And it's used in the plural both times. Unless you see signs and wonders, you won't believe. So if we're using Tennessean, then we would say y'all. If we're using kind of northern, uh, I heard it a lot in Boston when I lived there, you guys, right? You can read it like this. Unless you all see signs and wonders, you all Won't believe. I think if we were to zoom out. Just zoom out just a little bit in this gospel. We would see Jesus is saying. That this gospel. These signs and things I'm performing. It's so that you might be brought to faith. That every single person needs Jesus, right? Think about Nicodemus, a religious ruler. Think about the Samaritan woman just earlier in John chapter 4. This society's outcast, right? And now this royal official. This man who would be seen from the world's eyes as wealthy and powerful. Every single person needs Jesus. And then we see almost this transition and in the heart of this royal official. Look at verse 49. He says, sir, come down before my child dies. Right, you can almost hear a desperation, a begging of Jesus by this man. And if you've ever visited a children's hospital where, where kids are deathly ill, you walk down the hallways. And it's sad. You, your heart just feels burdened and aches for these kids. And then you think about the parents, right? Parents who are watching their kids suffer, who maybe have weeks or maybe even months, if they're lucky, before they die, unless they are healed. So you can even, I think, probably identify in some ways with this man who sees his son dying before his very eyes, and he just says, Jesus, please just come home with me. I just want you to come and see my son. And you notice the second time he appeals to Christ, there's no mention of healing. He just wants Jesus to be there. But how does Jesus respond? He doesn't say, sure, yeah, I'm I'm coming. Or I'll be there in a day or two. He gives him a command, right? A command that demands a response. He says, go, your son will will live. And this command, it's a command that can only be obeyed if someone has true, genuine faith. Right, so let me give you just an example that you as a parent or even a grandparent have probably encountered. You go to the pool in the summer and you walk in the pool. You stand maybe four or five feet away from the edge and your child who doesn't know how to swim, you call out to them, jump to dad, right? And then they kind of look and their knees start shaking. They're scared. And then you appeal to them, don't you know that, daddy, I'm, I'm able, I'm not the strongest man, but I'm at least able to catch you and I love you, I want to catch you. I want to be there for you, right? That's a time when your child is faced with the decision, am I gonna trust Or am I going to not trust? I think this man is faced with the very same predicament where Jesus says, go, your son will live. You also see this with the rich young ruler, if you remember him, right? He comes to Jesus and says, well, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And the last thing Jesus tells him is, go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And what does the young, rich young ruler do? He walks away sad, dejected, because he loved his possessions more than he loved Christ. He did not place faith in Christ. But this official gets a very similar command of, Go, your son will live. And what does he do? Look at verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Right? This man believes Jesus. He took Jesus at his word, and he went. So I want to ask you today, what do you place faith in? What is it that you are believing in? Because every single one of us, every one of us believes in something, places faith in something. Right? Even those who, who profess to be atheists say, I don't believe. Well, they believe in something. They at least believe in their own intellect or maybe their own good works. I even had, about three Saturdays ago, I had a meeting at Panera Bread. And I'll give you the short version. This man comes in. He's lost. He has a big smile on his face, so I think, well, all right, this is going to be a good conversation because he's, he's walking straight up to my table, and there's nobody else besides me and the person I'm meeting with. And he asks for directions, says, I'm lost. I need directions to the airport. And so through the conversation, uh, the other guy tells this man looking for directions that I'm a pastor. And then the guy who says, I'm lost, I need help, looks at me and says, you're stupid. You're stupid that you believe in God. He says, I've done so much in my lifetime that you couldn't even imagine doing in 10 lifetimes. And I'm way smarter than you. And I promise you, I'm not making this up. Like, it sounds like pastoral exaggeration, right? I promise you I'm not. The man who needs directions to Dulles, he's asking me for directions, who's way smarter than me asking for directions, right? And it, it just baffles me. He has a deep trust that his intelligence and his deeds in life are getting him somewhere. So I want to tell you, if you are here, Without Jesus today. If you maybe even seek Jesus for the sensational, right? You seek Him for good things in life. Maybe you even have been raised in the church or a Christian family, but you have not come to Christ in faith. I want to encourage you. I want to tell you, based on God's word, that unless you place faith in Christ, you will die being separated from him forever. And this does seem like a message just for non-believers, right? But I think even you and I, probably most of us in this room, would say, well, I've already placed faith in Christ. Well, I want to tell you also, don't be tempted to love what Jesus is doing around you, to love what Jesus might even be doing in this church and lose your first love. Right, we stand, or or I was sitting with you guys as we had people, this whole platform was filled with people wanting to join this church. We as a church should rejoice that people want to be with us, be happy that they want to join us and worship our God alongside us as we pursue Him together. But we can't be distracted by good things around us that it causes us to lose sight of the one that we place faith in. And so let's even look now. Look at how Christ responds to this man and his genuine faith. Look at verse 50. Right, I've already said it a number of times, but I think it's helpful to look again. Jesus says, go. Your son will live. Jesus gives life. He gives life through the power of his word. This official's son is ill to the point of death, right? This dad's turning to Christ as probably the last ditch effort to heal his son, to spare his life, because this son is as good as dead. And even though this man came to Christ, fascinated by him being a healer, a wonder worker, I think we see this man turning in faith to Christ. So Jesus gives life, right? He says, go, your son will live. And it's merely, or it's, it's just through the power of his word. He doesn't even have to be there, be present. He just, he just says, go, your son will live. I think that's a wonderful encouragement to us, right? The word of Christ always does what the word of Christ does, what he says. He gives life through the power of his word. So if you haven't experienced the power of Christ's word in your life, where he maybe has given you life, it's not an accident that you are here today. You've not accidentally wandered down the streets in your car and showed up in this building. It is no accident at all that God has you here to hear his word. That you might encounter this Christ just like this father did and see him more than just a mere miracle worker. One who performs signs and wonders, but that you would see him. That you would look on him as a wonderful savior, holding out hope that he can give you life. So listen, all of us, apart from Christ, are sick like this young man, like this boy. But in fact, God's word tells us our state apart from Christ is actually much worse than this young man. According to Ephesians 2, we were dead In our trespasses and sins. We had no hope of being brought back to life by ourselves. But there is great glory in knowing that Christ delights to give life. This ought to thrill your soul because Christ wants to give life. He wants to free you from sin. He wants you to experience joy in Him if you would believe. This even reminds me so much of what we see in creation, right? Remember Genesis 1 and 2. God forms man out of the dust of the earth. But it's not until God breathes life that this thing, this this soon-to-be person formed out of dust that actually takes breath, he is not alive. Until God breathes on him through the power of his word and says, you may live. So we have this, you have this same hope if you would place faith in Christ today. That you would be brought to new life through the power of Christ's words. And perhaps the most precious thing that you could hear today if you believe in Christ is this. You, my son, you, my daughter, may have life if you would believe in Christ. But also if you were already in Christ. This should bring great joy to your soul, right? Because maybe you were like this father who one day approached God, maybe even numerous times in a way because you were trying to get something from him. You sought Him. You wanted to be near Him because you wanted good things from Him. But then by God's grace to you, you encountered Christ. And you placed faith in Him. And He says, I give you life. Isn't that good news to you who have already received Christ, that you are alive, that you've been taken from the domain of darkness and been brought to this glorious kingdom of light. If you've placed faith in him, I want to encourage you that this is true of you today. So with these words that Christ gives to this man, go, your son will live. Let's look again. Let's look further down to verse 51. We're going to see here that the result of genuine faith in this man's life. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him, told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. Right, so this man encounters Christ. Christ tells him, Go, your son will live. He believes and he heads home. And he doesn't even get to get home yet, and his servants meet him. And they give him great news. Right, your son, he's on the mend, he's getting better, the fever has left him. And I can only imagine this father and his great excitement is also curious. Like, hey, when, when did this start to happen? Right? He asks his, his servants. And they say, well, it was at the seventh hour. So for us, we would say that's 1 p.m. And he knows this is the exact time that Christ spoke the words, your son will live. How much joy do you think the father's heart probably even starts pulsating because he's getting so excited. Maybe he's crying or weeping as he hears this news. Maybe he's dancing, hopping, and skipping all the way home, right? Because he knows his son has been healed. But I can also think that maybe in the back of his mind as he excitedly hurries home, that he's thinking, he's way more than just some ordinary man. Right, The thing that he already believed, that Jesus was the Christ, it's being confirmed in his life. The very thing that Jesus says has happened. His faith is being confirmed by seeing the work of God and the life of his son. And then according to verse 53, it says, he believed and all his household. Right? I think this is probably something similar in in your life where you believe something to be true and then later on, maybe a few weeks or a month later, you get more evidence supporting what you already believe and you're confirmed even more in your heart, I have not believed something in vain. I think perhaps something like that is going on with this father, right? He believes the word of Christ. He hears that his son is. Has been healed, he has been given life, and he's confirmed. And his joy, it it probably only grows, and as he gets home, he begins to share the gospel with his family, telling them of this good news of Christ. And it reminds me so much of the disciples that followed Jesus. Right before the resurrection, they seem to be at times men of great faith, and then other times they just seem to be big scaredy cats. Right, They they go out and they heal people. They bring bring people to Jesus. They're even teaching and baptizing. They're casting out demons. But then also they get so scared on the storm-tossed sea. Or even as Jesus is about to be crucified, they all turn their back on Him. They deny Him. But once Christ had been raised from the grave, once they're faith had been confirmed in the resurrection, they go out and they tell the world. Nothing can stop them. Not even the fear of death can stop them. So I wonder if it's something like this, where this father who believes in Christ and then it's confirmed that his son is alive, that he goes home and tells his household. So I just wonder, like, what's, his, what's his motivation? Right? It's, it's certainly not guilt-driven, It's motivated by a joy in that which saves, in Jesus Christ. And so there is this great joy that I think you and I need to remember. And just like this son who's on the brink of death, and he's healed. If that very same same thing happened in your family, in your child's life, Wouldn't you go out telling everybody you work with and your family and your neighborhood, hey, my son who was on the brink of death, he now has life. He's alive. People couldn't hold you back from sharing the good news, right? And so I think there's something not, I think, I know, something even greater than that has happened. Something even more miraculous is that God takes the spiritually dead person and gives them life. This life is something that no medicine and no doctor can do to bring back someone to life. And so it is far more miraculous. So I wonder, do the cares of life, do the, the, the concerns in our life sometimes make us numb? Maybe even cold. Forgetting this good work that Christ has done in his people, bringing them to life, freeing us from the shackles of sin and giving us freedom in Christ. Perhaps that's happened to you this week. I want to remind you of this good news. Remember this good news. Preach this good news to yourself and dads. I especially want to just take a moment and pause right now for you dads. Because if you notice, it's this man who believes, right? And then he comes home. He takes this home and shares the gospel with his family. And I know this is not the main point of the passage. But I do think it's very, uh, I think it's significant. And I think it's also a wonderful example for us as dads, as grandfathers in our own homes, right? We're told two different times that this man believes. Once in verse 50 and again in verse 53. He believed and then all his household. So dads, I want to encourage you. Take the gospel home. Don't let it be something that you keep private, right? The Christian life, although it is personal, it's not meant to be private. Share your faith with your wife, Share your faith with your kids. Pray with them in the car, in your home. Let them see a dad who, even when he goes through difficult things in life, clings to Jesus. Let them see a dad who is quick to run to his Savior. So dads, let's lead our families to Jesus. And I don't want it to leave us I don't want us to leave today without just saying one last thing, right? If you're here, if you've been using Jesus in transactional terms, you come near to him because you are hoping that you might get some of these good things from him. If you've not placed faith in Jesus Christ, then you are dead. And you might try to come to him. You might try to put on Nice clothes on a dead person. You might try to put perfume or cologne on a dead person, but ultimately, none of that brings a dead person to life. You showing up here to church doesn't bring you any closer to having life in Christ than it does to put nice clothes on a dead person. It doesn't change your state. It doesn't change your eternal destiny. The only thing that can bring you life is the Savior of the world who gives life. And that happens if you would believe in Him. So I want to ask you, would you believe in Christ? Would you place faith in Christ today that He, the one who called out to Lazarus, the dead man in the tomb, might also call out to you, come out that you might live in Christ. Let's go to him now in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for today. We thank you that we have the opportunity of hearing your word, of reading it and being here together to consider what you have to say to us. Would you be with us? Would you perhaps even grant faith today and bring someone to new life today? And for those who have known you, perhaps even for years, who might be weary because of life and circumstances, would you help us to remember what you've done in Christ, how he has called us to new life, and that we might rejoice in our wonderful savior and continue in faith in him as in his wonderful name we pray amen let's stand as we join in singing he is lord